from WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station. Welcome. I'm Warren Odestulet, and this is A Baha'i Perspective. A Baha'i Perspective is a radio program that presents interviews of people who have been influenced by the Baha'i Faith. If you want information specifically on the Baha'i Faith, you're welcome to visit the website www.baha'i.org, that's B-A-H-A-I dot O-R-G, or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. Today I'm playing a telephone interview with Bhakti Huff. General Manager for the Baha'i Radio Station WLGI at the Lewis Gregory Baha'i Institute in Hemingway, South Carolina. I started the interview by asking Bhakti where he grew up and what was it like growing up there. I grew up, for the most part, in uh, North and South Carolina. For the first five uh, years of my life, we traveled quite a bit. My father was in the construction business, but mostly that was around North Carolina, Georgia, South Carolina, spent most of the time in Durham, North Carolina. But after about age of five, I was raised in Hartsville, South Carolina, which is near Florence. Hartsville is a small town of about 10,000 people. We live kind of in the suburbs, you might call it, of Hartsville, uh, in kind of a rural area. But it was very peaceful, very relaxing. I had a Relatively uh, pleasant and laid-back childhood. Hartsville was and uh, still is a, a pretty nice place to live. And you lived in Hartsville for the rest of your growing up years? Yes, I did. Uh, I did until age of 18 when I graduated high school and I uh, went off to uh, college in Virginia, yes. Mm-hmm. What was your religious upbringing like? I grew up as a United Methodist in the United Methodist Church. My mother... Uh, was a Baptist when she married my father, who was a United Methodist, and then she converted to the United Methodist denomination. That's pretty much, you know, with our religious background, up until, I would say, the early 70s, my father, after he became a minister, my father was a minister in the United Methodist Church, he left the United Methodist denomination to join the Church of God in Christ, my mother, however, remained with the, with the Methodists, so the children, me and my six siblings, we were kind of back and forth between the, the two. But then around 1971, my father then left the Church of God in Christ denomination to start a uh, non-denominational church uh, of his own. Mm-hmm. So what were the reasons for him leaving United Methodist Church and then going to the, the Church of God in Christ? Right, uh-huh. Yeah. Well, as I remember, at the time, there was um, a gentleman by the name of Bishop J. Howard Sherman from Charlotte, North Carolina, who was making a lot of headway in expanding his, uh, his church in our region. Uh, my father was just fascinated with his message mm-hmm. and decided it was a more charismatic faith than the United Methodist Church was. Mm-hmm. And so he felt a little bit more home there and very quickly rose through the ranks to become 
uh, this man's chief lieutenant, basically, or assistant minister. But I think it appears that, based on what I remember, he, he reached a point where he felt that denominations were creating more division than unity, and that's why he then left that denomination to start a non-denominational church. How old were you when he started the non-denominational church? I was 12. Okay. How did that influence you? Um, it, it had a pretty significant impact on me because, like him, even at that young age, there was something about the various denominations and faiths that led me to believe that they were more divisive uh, than, than, than unifying, because in addition to the faith that the family adhered to, you know, my father and my mother had books around, you know, about the Mormon faith, about Hinduism, Buddhism, and even the Baha'i faith. I don't know. It's like when he uh, decided to start the non-denominational church, it was like something within me kind of like said, yes. You know, now, you know, we can bring everybody together uh, regardless, you know, of of their religious background or their religious training, that the Methodists, the Baptists, the the Mormons, the Baha'is, we can all come to this non-denominational church and and, and worship God without concern for doctrine, you know, that that might divide us on some level. And you said you went off to college? I did, uh, in 1976, uh, after I graduated uh, Hartsville High School. I went to uh, Norfolk State University in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. studied uh, mass communications and uh, business administration. And why did you choose that? I, I seem to always have an aptitude for uh, communicating and communicating to the masses. Early on in the churches that we attended, you know, I was very active in the youth groups, and uh, even though I was, a, and, and still am, <laughs> to a significant degree, kind of a shy and reserved person, I liked speaking and talking to people. And I wanted to be in a position to influence the minds of people positively, because um, I would hear a lot of, you know, negative messages, whether it was coming from music or from commentators on radio and TV or, or, or editorial writers in the newspaper. And I'm like, well, you know, I want to do that, but I'd like to do it in order to be able to inject what I viewed as a, a positive vibe into the mix. And so that was essentially why, you know, in addition to the fact that I just love to write, for one thing, because Most of my adult life, I've been in radio and print journalism at the same time. Just the writing aspect and wanting to write for the public, as well as communicate with them in general, was kind of the impetus for going into this field. Mm -hmm. And when you got out of college, what was your first experience? Interestingly, when I got out of college, for about the first year, I just kind of traveled a little bit, just kind of messed around, didn't really work, just trying to uh, get a feel for for life after having, you know, been pretty much in a classroom for about 16 years. But my first real work experience, writing experience, was when I eventually landed in Washington, D.C. for a while. And I 
wrote a couple of freelance pieces for the uh, Washington Post and for the uh, black newspaper there, the, the basically the Baltimore African-American, Afro-American it was called. So that was my first experience, but uh, my first full-time job was in Charlotte, North Carolina at a newspaper called the Charlotte Post in uh, 1981. That was my first real job. So what were your articles when you were a fran- freelancer? I wrote a piece. It was a, it was a profile about this this kid, this young guy who was, I think he must have been about 15 or 16 or something, but he was graduating high school early and getting ready to go off to uh, college at, at a young age. And, and I wrote a profile about him. And the other piece was uh, was an op-ed was an op-ed piece during Black History Month, mm-hmm. and it was just uh, just my thoughts about observing African American and African history. So, were you surprised they were published? I mean, how well, did you? How did not you... really, since yeah. they didn't pay me. Uh huh. <laughs> so, yeah. I you know, and, and and they pretty much made that clear to me, mm-hmm. you know, because at the time I didn't have a great deal of experience, you know, and didn't even have a lot of clips or anything. Mm-hmm. They told me that they would publish the pieces probably, but, but they would not pay me at that point. But if they really liked them and I you know, wrote a lot of other pieces for them, then they'd start to pay me and, mm-hmm. and then maybe even consider me for the, you know, for the staff. Mm-hmm. You know, but, um, but I wasn't there that long. I was only there for a few months. So I eventually moved, moved on because I talked to a lot of other people in the area. And the Post, of course, is, you know, is one of the elite newspapers in the, in the country at that time, at least, it was pretty challenging to to get in there, having little, you know, experience. Right. And did you say you went to Charlotte? Yeah, Charlotte Post. The Charlotte Post. Can it was you tell a me? weekly uh, black-owned newspaper. Okay. Can you tell me about your experience there? That was, you know, a very positive experience. Bill Johnson was the publisher. When I went in to apply, uh, he hired me on the spot. Why is that? Do you think? Well, according to him, it was my sincerity, you know, in my approach, because generally people would send in, you know, resumes and and clips when applying, but I just walked right in, and I had my clips and resumes with me, but I walked in, and and I asked to, uh, to speak with him, but I was told that I would need to speak with someone else, you know, some lower level person. And I asked, well, would this person have the um, authority to hire me? And when told no, I insisted on seeing him. And so fortunately, rather than throwing me out, they (laughs) did let me see him, and we talked. He reviewed my clips, and he said that while he hired me for my education and training and my writing ability, that he hired me right away because of what he saw in me as a person, my persistence, my determination to talk to the, the people that matter, and he felt that that would serve me well as a journalist, and he felt that this was someone he'd like to have on the staff. Mm-hmm. So you said your experience there was positive. Uh, yes, indeed, because he taught me a lot. He really took me under his wing and and really uh, taught me a lot of things taught me a lot and then helped me a lot. He did a lot of hand-holding that would not have occurred at the Washington Post, I'm sure. 
and I'm, I can only speculate about this, but the feeling I get is there, I would have been expected to hit the ground running and pretty much sink or swim. But Mr. Johnson overlooked some of my mistakes. He, he pointed them out and helped me get them right. And he seemed to really want me to be successful. And uh, it helped me become so. Very good experience. And how long were you there? After a year, I, I got ill and, and uh, had some, some health issues. Uh, first of all, I injured my knees. I had to run track in high school and college, and it had a little difficulty with them, but they got worse. I had to have surgery on both my knees, <laughs> mm-hmm. and I had some other health issues, basically stomach condition. My mother convinced me to move back to Hartsville to be closer to family where she and other families could kind of help look out for me. At the time, I really did not want to do it, but, you know, realized that I did need the help and support, you know, of the family at that time. So um, I just went along with it. Mr. Johnson, you know, did tell me that if that I could take a leave of absence and if I wanted to come back to Charlotte to the post, that I could. But while there in Hartsville, I uh, wound up applying for the local paper, the Hartsville Messenger, and they offered me a job. So I, I wound up staying and not going back to Charlotte. And what was the experience like there? It was up and down at the the messenger. And one of the reasons I wanted to work there was because it was it was a white owned newspaper. It was the town's newspaper of record. I saw it at the time, even though my views of that are a little different now. But at the time, I saw that as a step up, uh, a step forward. And in many ways, it was because they, they they paid more, <laughs> for one thing. But I wanted to, at the Post, it was a black-owned paper covering mainly black issues, and that was fine. But I wanted to kind of broaden my horizons and and not, I guess, be pigeonholed as a, as a black journalist or a black writer, but a journalist, period, you know. And so I applied. And, and then, too, they had never had a full-time African-American writer on the staff there. And I was kind of intrigued at the idea of being the first. And I was. And Unfortunately, though, the first and the last. And from what I understand, unless they hired somebody just recently, they haven't had another <laughs> full-time African-American on the staff, at least not on the writing staff since. I was there for three years. From 1980, about four years, 1982 to about 1986. As I said, it was it was up and down. The the, the work experience was was wonderful. However, there were some folk in the community that did not take to me too well. I would be sent out on assignments, and some people would have difficulty even having me cover their activity or event or whatever, and. and I think it's because they weren't accustomed to seeing an African-American reporter, not only in Hartsville, but in the region, because they just were not any. So that presented some challenges for me. And I didn't always get the support I thought I should have received from uh, the management there when I would run into issues like that. I mean, there were a couple of occasions when folk came to the... Because for a period I was the sports editor... Uh, 
if if I wrote something that seemed at least remotely critical about the the home team, I'd have the coach and a couple of other people coming down to talk to the editor about it. And often, rather than standing by me, he'd say, "Well, you need to tone this down or do this that way, or don't approach this issue or that kind of thing." Yeah. But but on the whole, you know, it it was a good experience and made me stronger. I moved on to accept uh, another job in uh, Columbia, South Carolina, as editor of the South Carolina Black Media Group, which owned at the time seven newspapers in seven South Carolina cities and towns. It was just uh, a move up, a a move forward. So I left the the messenger to to accept that job. Mm -hmm. And how long were you there? I was there for a year. And what was the experience like there? It was very good. It was it was my first experience as a full-fledged editor. Even though I was the sports editor at The Messenger, it was more in in name only. Um, I was the, the, the chief sports writer, but the the editor there, the main uh, the managing editor, did most of the, the real editing. So it was my first experience as a full-fledged editor. It was my first experience in management. I, I loved it. It was it was great work. Uh, it was challenging. Uh, the management aspect was trying to keep a staff of uh, eight people, you know, on the same page and, and everything. But that was a great experience there. I, I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I've done some some freelance stuff for them since. I moved on from there because to take another job. I was ex- uh, offered a job with the State Department of Social Services in the adoptions unit. They had a program at that time called the One Church, One Child Program, which was designed to try and find homes for the many children available for adoption among the church community. My job was to develop and execute. I was hired as the public relations coordinator to um, develop and execute, you know, communications and public relations strategies for the program and also to go out and uh, talk to church congregations about the adoptions process, uh, show them video presentations of children with the hopes that at least one child would be adopted by a family in each church in the state. That was the, uh, that was the goal. I had done some volunteer work for DSS and their adoptions efforts probably about three years prior to that, and they told me then that they didn't have funds to to pay for what I was doing, but if they ever did, you know, that they would call on me. And uh, they kept their word. So, uh, so back to they you, got what, the funding for yeah. the One Church, One Child program. They uh, they hired me. As they offered me the job as the uh, public relations coordinator, and I accepted. What moved you to do volunteer work for DSS? Well, I've always wanted, I was raised... Uh, by my parents to always do what you can to make a difference, to to do what you can to improve the quality of life and the standard of living of others, especially those that might be less fortunate than than you are. So that was my main reason for wanting to do that, but also because I had met some people in Charlotte, some children who had been in foster care pretty much all their lives and had become adults in foster care. And they 
kind of bemoaned the, the, the idea of not having family. And so I was approached by a friend of mine who was working with DSS at the time who was basically needing some communications and PR help for the program and getting the word out about adoption, and tr- especially in the African-American community and trying to get folk to consider it. And so I was just more than happy to help because I wanted to help in general and because I did have a soft spot for the children who were available for adoption and uh, did not have families. I worked for them for nearly a year, about nine months or so before I was offered another job, mm-hmm. this time with the state newspaper in Columbia, which is the largest newspaper in South Carolina. They offered me a job. As much as I loved PR and the work I was doing there it, with the adoptions program, in terms of my career, it was just too good of an opportunity to turn down, and I could still help, you know, at DSS, which I did. You know, I mean, they, they replaced me there, but I did do some other uh, volunteer work for them. And what were your responsibilities at the statewide paper? My first job was as a general assignments reporter. I was there for nearly five years. So during that time, I was a general assignments reporter and for a short stint, uh, an investigative reporter. And then I covered local government and social issues for a while. So that was pretty much the nature, you know, of my work there. And how long were you there? About four years, a little over four years, you know, going on five years. I'd say about four years and a half. Mm -hmm. From 88 to 91, Mm -hmm. late in 91. And then what caused you to move on? I guess you could say had some uh, irreconcilable differences. <laughs> the newspaper, I guess maybe about a year after I started at the state, it was bought by the Knight Ritter newspaper chain. As often happens when there's a merger or a takeover, new people come in and they bring their people and sometimes move people that are already there out. And so, you know, everything was wonderful, and I'd gotten along well. But as the new people started coming in, me and some of the editors just didn't see eye to eye on some issues. We just couldn't get get past it. You know, we tried to work these things out, but it just didn't. So, you know, we just kind of agreed that, that I would move on. Mm-hmm. I went to the Florence Morning News in Florence, South Carolina. That was about an hour and a half from Columbia, and and really closer. That was my home area because Hartsville is about 30 minutes from Florence. So it was kind of like going back home. So, yeah, I went back to the Florence Morning News to be their education writer. Mm-hmm. I was there for a year as the education writer and left there in late in 92 to uh, to start a business. And what business was that? It was a communication services company, uh, public relations, pretty much public relations, marketing, and management company, New World Communications Group, and uh, it still exists today. Interesting name. How did you come up with that name? I always saw myself as someone helping to create or bring about a new world. I just loved the sound of it. I wanted to somehow use this organization to help uh, usher in a new world, if only in my little corner of the world. There we have it. Because I um, I guess maybe I had planned to do this 
even when I was working at the state newspaper. And so that was when I came upon the name because a friend of mine and I, actually it was my girlfriend at the time, we started the, the company together, and that's the name we agreed on. Mm-hmm. So what kind of clientele did you have, and what was your focus? The focus was mainly on the arts, doing the PR and communication services for cultural organizations, social service organizations, mainly nonprofits. That was my specialty. But we also did some, some corporate work as, as well. For the first year and a half, it didn't go well at all. Actually, I thought I'd made a mistake because we just weren't generating much business. But then after the first year, we kind of turned the corner and started getting more business. And so we were able to do business with uh, some major companies. Sunoco Products Company, that name may not mean anything to you, but it's headquartered in Hartsville. But it's a Fortune 500 company and has operations in 22 different countries. We did work for them. Wellman Incorporated, which is another big company. Uh, Sunoco, by the way, makes packaging products. And another one was Wellman Incorporated. Did a lot of work for the public schools there. As a matter of fact, we did so much work with the public schools that we created a special division to handle that business called ECR, Education Communications Resources. So we did a lot of work with the public schools and with several nonprofit organizations, some state agencies. Uh, We did work with the United Way of South Carolina, the State Department of Archives and History, several churches. And how long did you do this? We still do it. Even though I don't have as much hands-on, I'm not involved in the day-to-day you know, operation. From 92, or late 91, until March of 2005, when I accepted the job as general manager of Radio Baha'i, I was president of the company, and uh, that's what I did. But I had to pull away, you know, when accepting this job, when I accepted this job. Now, why did you accept another job while you were still running a business? It's, it's very similar to the situation with the state. I, I felt it was just too good of a, an opportunity to turn down because I was also, while running the company, I was working in radio for Cumulus Broadcasting in Florence, producing and hosting talk shows and jazz shows. I loved radio and always wanted to run one, so that was part of the, uh, the reason. But then also to work with the Baha'i faith. I had been familiar with the Baha'i faith for a long time, had many friends who were or are Baha'is. The opportunity, I, I, I liked what the Baha'i stood for, and I thought it would be very refreshing to be in radio working for a station that's all about promoting love, peace, unity, togetherness, spiritual revelation, all the things that, um, that I stood for. So I felt that it was, uh, it was a divine intervention in a way. Mm-hmm. And so I just said, I just, there's no way I can pass it up because it's not just a job, but I saw it kind of as an extension of my spiritual calling on my spiritual mission. And when did you first run into the Baha'i faith? Uh, as I mentioned, 
there was some material around our home about the faith, but honestly, I never paid it too much attention. I did, you know, read a little bit about it, but I think the first real introduction was in the late 70s in New York. I saw a uh, Seals and Crofts concert and managed to get backstage afterward and talk to Jim Seals because during the performance, he talked about the persecution of Baha'is in Iran. And when he said the word, I said, hey, you know, I know about the Baha'is, but he was, but I had heard nobody else mention the name Baha'i before I heard him say it, other than what I had read at home. I said, well, I want to see if I can, you know, learn a little bit more from him about this. So anyway, after the show, I did manage to get back there. As I look back, I don't know how in the world I did it, but I didn't get to talk to him long, you know, maybe three or four minutes. But I asked him about the Baha'i faith. I heard you mention the Baha'is. I've heard of them before. Tell me a little more. But anyway, he told me that he was a Baha'i and that they were all over the world, and, and he talked about what was going on in Iran. And he gave me a little card. You know, similar to the cards I see now about the, the principles of the of the faith, and so that was my first, I guess, real encounter. You know, with with a Baha'i or with the Baha'i faith. Mm-hmm. Now, what is the position at WLGI Baha'i Radio that you that you applied for, and how did you find this position open? Well, I am the uh, general manager, and interestingly, I didn't apply for it. And then that's what led me to believe that God had <laughs> was guiding this process. I had a relationship, you know, with the Lewis Gregory Baha'i Institute, something of a relationship, because I would come down, you know, to the Peace Fest festivals on a regular basis. Can you describe what those are? Peace Fest is a celebration of love, peace, and unity through the arts and humanities. And since 1986. It's been held here at the Lewis Gregory Baha'i Institute. And artists and entertainers of every stripe come and perform at this all-day festival. And uh, last year was the 20th uh, anniversary of Peace Fest. It's a wonderful time. I mean, it's just a, a strong representation of the of the Baha'i faith because you have such a diverse array of performers, uh, a diverse crowd. I mean, uh, for instance, last year we had Latin music by a, a Baha'i group. We had Latin music. We have Native Americans performing. We had uh, gospel music, black gospel music, jazz, you name it. We had African drumming. The list just goes on. So it's just it's just a beautiful event. It's been going on for twenty. Well, this year was twenty one years here. Mm-hmm. And so I would come down to those. And because I had friends who were Baha'is, and because of my community activism, you know, we do things together. Like I was involved in the race un- Baha'i race unity conferences in Charleston with Baha'i Baha'i Roy Jones. And an organization that I was president of 
in the 90s, in the mid and late 90s, people to people whose mission it was or is, it still exists, to promote interracial and inter-ethnic harmony in the PD region of South Carolina, we won the Ambassador Peace Award from the Lewis Gregory Bayou Institute. Now, when you say PD region, what does that mean? That's a region of South Carolina. It's basically the northeastern region of South Carolina. It's about a a 10-county region in the northeastern area of the state. It's called the PD region after the PD Indian tribe that once lived here. We won this award, and it was presented during Peace Fest. At that time, Peace Fest was a two-day event. I guess the winner, I guess the the practice was whoever won the award always spoke or, or a representative of the organization that won it always spoke. So I came down and spoke that Sunday morning. I was one of the featured speakers. And, and that just kind of helped to cement even further, you know, my relationship with the Baha'i faith. In 2004, I came down again to Peace Fest and ran into Beverly Collins, who along with her husband, Ray Collins, were the administrators of the Institute at that time. And she mentioned that they were in serious need of help at Radio Baha'i. And I'm not quite sure how she knew I was in radio, because I did not tell her. And uh, I'm sure I asked her later on, but I don't remember. But then again, I knew many Baha'i, so some of them might probably told her about me. Anyway, she mentioned that Radio Baha'i was in severe need of help, experienced help. They, at the time, I think they had one full-time staff member and a couple of uh, Baha'i, a couple of Baha'i youth doing year of service. And she asked if I'd be willing to come down and help uh, a day, a week. And I said, sure, I'd be, I'd be glad to. I'd be honored. So she said, well, email me a copy of your resume. I don't really need it for you to volunteer, but I'd just like to have it on hand. And so she, I, I sent the resume, and she shared it with Gwen Claiborne, the Director of Human Resources at the Baha'i National Center, and, and Nancy Davis, the Director of the Education and Schools Office. She then called me and said that they wanted to meet me and to hold up on asking me to volunteer that they'd like to talk to me about maybe full-time employment. So they flew down to Hemingway. I drove to Hemingway, and we met and talked at length. They left saying that we are not sure, you know, where we're going to go from here, but we would like to have you join us, and so we'll be in touch. And so I guess maybe five days later, Gwen Claiborne called me and said that they had consulted you know, with others and talked it over again with the Collinses and that the position of general manager was open at the station. And because I had, uh, at that point, some 20 years of radio experience and um, had management experience and had a, uh, a wide array of other kinds of experience that they felt that I might be the person to help take Radio Baha'i to the next level and offered me the job. I wanted to just jump up and down and say, yes, you know, I'll take it. But I said, well, give me a couple of days to think about it. Let me digest this. But uh, long story short, you know, I called 
back a couple of days later and told her I'd accept it. And so here I am. So what's the mission of WLGI? Well, the mission is to basically be a communications arm of the faith to promote and advance the faith to the general public, but also to provide deepening services and an inspirational service to the Baha'i community. So its mission is it's one, but it's also twofold, because we're serving Baha'is and we're also serving the broader community. So the aim is to introduce the faith to the broader community you know, while also serving to nurture, you know, and to help deepen the, the faith. So that's it. That's the short answer. And we do that through music. And music, you know, that reinforces Baha'i themes. And through uh, messages like, you know, public service announcements that talk about the faith and the principles of the faith, uh, programs like the Baha'i Bookshelf, where we uh, interview Baha'i authors. We, you know, have do Baha'i prayers you know, that we play and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So what do you find your relationship with the, the Baha'i faith to be? Well, I'm a friend of the faith. But in another way, I feel like I am a Baha'i. I, I just have not declared. I have not signed a card. But I believe in most of what the Baha'is believe in, I'm certainly all for the unity of mankind, you know, love, peace, and unity, equality of the races, the equality of women and men, doing all we can to, you know, to help our brothers and sisters, and about ushering in a new world, a peaceful world, a unified world, are all things that I stand for and believe in. So I'm a friend of the faith, but something more, I think, because friend of the faith seems to kind of indicate that you appreciate the faith, but you're on the outside. I don't consider myself an outsider. I consider myself part and parcel of of this mission because I take this position here very, very seriously. And I consult, you know, with other Baha'is, and of course we have Baha'is on the staff, in terms of the program thrust, because I want to be sure that I'm doing it right. And I'm grateful, I'm very grateful and honored that the faith has the trust in me, not being a formal Baha'i, to be able to advance the faith through this this radio station. Even if I'm not at the point where I'm able to wrap my head around the doctrine. I I think that's probably where I'm at, but that having been said, anything is possible. It is very possible, you know, that I could one day become a Mm Baha'i, especially if I wind up being here for a long time and continue to work like I do and communicate with Baha'is on a pretty much daily basis, that could change. But one thing I'm finding, you know, is that a lot of ingrained conditioning, you know, and beliefs 
I guess die hard, so to speak. So I guess I'm just not, you know, not there yet. And what is the relationship of WLGI to the listening community? We want to be a friend. We try to be a friend, someone who's here for them through the, we hope, encouraging and inspiring music and messages that we play. People often provide us feedback that indicates that we are kind of uh, an oasis in the desert when it comes to radio because we are making a conscious effort to encourage and inspire and promote positivity to say, look, you know, uh, we're your friends. We're here for you. No matter what you're going through, we support you, you know, and we're praying for you. We want the best for you and your your loved ones. And here's a prayer that addresses this issue. You know, or here's just an encouraging word. Or here's a song. Most of the music we play is what's called smooth jazz, even though we, there is some mainstream jazz played. And, and then there's a small percentage of uh, lyrical music, vocal music. And we're, we pick those songs very carefully to be sure that the messages are positive and inspiring and, and encouraging. And so our relationship is a friend, an informer, someone who gives them information, but also someone who introduces them to a new, a, a new spiritual revelation. Uh, a new, because many people, many people I talk to, even many people who call here, are looking for a spiritual home. They are searching. And so part of our relationship is says, hey, consider this. Listen to this. Call the, the, the you know, information line. Get more information. This just may be, you know, what you've been looking for. And how long have you been doing this? Here at Radio Baha'i? Mm-hmm. For March 15th of this year, it will be three years. I started here March 15th, 2005. Has this position changed your perspective in any way? In general, or my perspective on the Baha'i faith? Either one, both. Well, in general, not as much, because I came here a spiritual person, even though... I do not adhere to a specific belief system. I've always been a spiritual person. I was raised in a very spiritual home. From that perspective, not much change, except that it certainly has helped me to grow and develop and mature in my spirituality. Some of the writings have certainly, I think, helped serve to deepen me spiritually. But I came here a very passionate spiritual aspirants. And as far as on the faith, it has to some degree in that I've learned more about it and, and, I, and I've had Baha'i friends all along. So even there, even though there has been some effect and some change, not a great deal, but most of the changes come just by being in a Baha'i environment you know, day in and day out. But one thing that I have learned, I think, 
is that you have different kinds of people in the faith. I do think that there might have been maybe just a touch of naivete on my part. Coming here, I, I think I expected maybe all Baha'is to be saints. But I learned that, you know, Baha'is are, are people like everybody else who are doing the best that they can with what it is, you know, they believe. And I believe that some uh, are struggling. I believe that some uh, have uh, aspirations that they're yet to achieve. But the important thing is that they're making the effort, you know, and, uh, and, and trying. So I think those are probably the, the differences in perspective since I've been here. I, I think I have a more realistic attitude toward the faith that helps me to understand and appreciate the faith for the, the powerful force that I believe that it is, while also being understanding and tolerant of the human beings who, who call themselves Baha'is and not, you know, not judge the faith just because, well, just because we're all human, you know, and, and Baha'is, just like any other you know, group of human beings, you know, prone to human error. That's been uh, a, a great learning experience and has really uh, taught me, I think, better, you know, how to deal with people and all kinds of people and understand the human condition a, a little better without being too judgmental. And what are your goals for WLGI as you are the general manager? Chief goal is to make this and I, I, you know, I hope this doesn't have a competitive sound to it, but to make this the most important communications tool for the Baha'i faith in South Carolina, and ultimately for the Baha'i faith period, because hopefully pretty soon we'll be streaming online and therefore able to uh, reach the world with this message. And I view being able to reach the masses, if not as important, almost as important as is reaching, you know, the Baha'i faith. Because as important and critical as that is, uh, with this station, I think we want to do more than just preach to the choir but also help to introduce the faith to others and help bring others into the fold. So so the goal is just for it to become uh, an increasingly creative and effective communicator of Baha'i principles through music and through programs. When I interviewed Susan Auday, she said that the listening area of WLGI was pretty wide. What's the power of your transmitter? We are a 50,000-watt station. We have a strong signal up to, you know, about 75, 80-mile radius, the uh, radio station. And while we have no uh, formal measurement, you know, of our audience, I estimate that we cover approximately 30 counties in northeastern South Carolina, and southeastern North Carolina. So the reach 
is pretty wide, pretty wide. My hometown, Hartsville, is 75 miles away. In Darlington County, and the signal is very strong there in that region. So we have pretty wide reach. Well, Bhakti, thank you very much for taking this time to talk to us. Thank you very much for having me. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Bhakti Huff, General Manager for the Baha'i Radio Station WLGI at the Lewis Gregory Baha'i Institute in Hemingway, South Carolina. For a copy of this and other interviews, you can go to the website www.abahaiperspective.com. For information specifically on the Baha'i faith, you can go to the website www.baha'i.org or you can call the toll-free number 1-800-22-UNITE. I hope you'll join me next time on A Baha'i Perspective. Stay
stayed out there just as long as he could The maker gave him water from the river of life And then they gave him stationhood And then time passed Soon the dark clouds Came and covered up Mohammed's son But the young Bob Down in Persian land Came to tell us of The promised one Lo, the nightingale Of paradise Singeth upon the twigs of the tree of eternity With holy and sweet melodies Proclaiming to the sincere ones The glad tidings of the nearness of God
This is WXOJLP Northampton, 103.3 FM, your Valley Free Radio Station, streaming at www.valleyfreeradio.org.